Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 114 with Ken Ruggiero, talking all about uh, college student financing innovations, how students are able to get the financing they need uh, to pursue their higher education goals. Uh, so really a complicated, nuanced topic, uh, but I'm really glad that we got some time and space to talk about it here. Ken uh, gives a lot of context and uh, clearly has a lot, of, a lot of knowledge and passion for this space. So I'm very grateful for his time and all that he shared and some great resources to check out in the show notes. Um, and another quick plug before we get into the episode, please do go check out the uh, merch store. There's a link in the uh, description of this episode and a quick link on the website as well uh, to get yourself directed over there. But um, there's a great sale going on. So get uh, some cool merch, support the show. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. Uh, but without further ado, this is episode number 114 with Ken Ruggiero. Super excited to uh, have this opportunity to talk through uh, a topic that we really haven't spent too much time on uh, for the podcast here around uh, kind of uh, students funding their journeys uh, in higher education. Uh, certainly, a con- you know continues to be a hot topic. Uh, so glad we're giving it some space and time here. But uh, Ken, you know, we'll we'll start out uh, as we always do. If you just want to introduce yourself to everybody and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Great, thanks, Dustin, and thanks for thanks for having me in this topic because it's it's important and it's in the news often. This is Ken Ruggiero. I am CEO and co-founder of Ascent Funding, and I've been involved in higher education for the last 17 years. Prior to that, I was in uh, consulting and, and technology companies, mostly as their CFO in New York and then here in San Diego where Ascent is headquartered. And I've been trying to solve the, the, the problem of, of matching the investment in an education with the outcome of an education for a very long time. And an ascent is really the, the, the closest we've gotten so far. And, and I am 100% convinced uh, we will get all the way there through the through the journey that we're on. Yeah. And I guess, you know, well, it segues nicely, you know, um, you know, I guess it's been you know, a, a long career leading to this moment, like you said, you, you've been kind of dedicated to this. Uh, so just to make sure everybody kind of fully understands uh, the context that you're working in now, uh, if you just want to explain a little bit about what Ascent does so that everybody um, yeah, just has that uh, context. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, as, a, as a finance professional and, and having been involved in student loan companies that originated over $10 billion of, of student loans, I, I not only have been you know, studying the problem uh, and, and working on solutions, but I, I've been you know, quite the practitioner. Uh, I, I've also been a, uh, what I would call a mild user. I, uh, I, I grew up as the you know, one of three sons who were all first time learners and, and we all three of us paid our way through college. And, uh, and we were all, all sons of parents who, who didn't go to college. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so I, I worked summers and winters. I did work study and I had a great experience at UMass and graduated with a, with a bachelor's in accounting and, uh, and have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, and, and had very low student loan debt when I graduated because uh, of the cost of education. And, and fast forward uh, to, to where I am now in life and I've got two, two sons. And, uh, and, and we live here in California, and if, if they wanted to, quote, pay their way through school or save and pay is, is kind of the way it has to go, 
then uh, they, they couldn't they couldn't do that here in California without materially impacting the their you know their, the, everything they wanted to do as 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 young people going through high school. So so mm-hmm. it's not it's not an option anymore. And and we, we talk about student debt and what the problems are stu- of student debt are, and uh, and and it's not going away. Like the the idea that college will cost less is that they'll quote bend the cost curve. Uh, there will always be cheaper solutions. There will always be substitute solutions. But but for you know, more than more than 80 percent of the college going uh, uh, students over the next probably five to 10 years, that the price is not going to change to get a bachelor's degree. So so we, we looked at this problem. I've looked at this problem and said, well, well what if you can't change the cost, uh, can can you at least change the, the choice? Uh, of what people choose to do. And in changing the choice, can we signal to the market a good choice versus a bad choice? And, uh, and in, order to go, in order to get to any of those answers, you, you needed to understand what the outcomes of an education are. So, uh, so Ascent was built really as a thought experiment. Could, could we make student loans to students and families that banks wouldn't or couldn't do? And, and could we get those financed by, uh, by the, you know, the financiers of, of Wall Street, which is really the litmus test for do you have a, a scalable and viable uh, loan? Mm-hmm. And, and starting back in 2015, we had, we, because of the services business we had built through the, the gold businesses, uh, we had access to, to over $20 billion of data, uh, data that, that were student loans originated from 2001 to 2007. And we studied that data and we studied the outcomes of those students that took loans, lived through a, a, a grisly great recession and came out the other side with or without a degree and, and with student loan debt. And, uh, and we studied their outcomes and we studied what their income levels would and could be. And, and what we concluded was we, we could actually make student loans based off of the outcome, not the current circumstance. And as you might know, student loans, uh, when they're done by, by banks like Sally May or, or others, when they're, they're based off the current circumstance. And, and they define the current circumstance just by two, two questions. Do you have a FICO score over 680? And do you have income over a certain threshold, maybe $24,000? And if you fail either of those, then, the, then the, the, the bank is done talking to that student and they only want to talk to the parent or guardian or person with those two variables that say yes. And we said, wow, that, that, that's giving hardworking students, much like I was when I was a teenager, that's giving them zero credit for what they've done life to date. And it's giving them zero credit for where they'll end up. So can we make a loan that is based off the predicted outcome and success of the student uh, versus the current circumstance? The answer was yes. So the Ascent Future Income Loan is really our signature product. It's, it's available at over 1,700 schools, and it solves the problem that, that would address people like me and, and millions of other first-time learners and, and millions of other uh, adult learners who've gotten maybe one bachelor's degree and want to get a second because they're having a career change. And there's no more federal money available, and and, and it'll affect. And we think it'll enable uh, a lot of. Uh, we lend to DACA students, international students, uh, you know, students who have English as a second language. Uh, I mean, we're, we're we're focused on the the underserved and overlooked, and uh, it's been quite the mission. Uh, but it's been, I'll say, where I am in my career, it's been incredibly professionally fulfilling to see the outcomes we've been able to help achieve and, and, and the team of people we've been able to bring to solve this problem. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's a, 
Like you said, it's just a big problem. It's always grabbing headlines, but I just don't think sometimes you're really hearing people that are earnestly trying to do something about it. It's just sometimes there's a lot of like, you know, you know, maybe hand wringing or just complaining or whatever. But, um, you know, and, and it's certainly, uh, you know, an issue and just like a topic that, you know, didn't just pop up out of nowhere. So I guess from your point of view, we can kind of like just focus here for a little bit um, of the variable or variables and whether you want to kind of take this macro or micro or just any of those things of like what led to this, you know, to like ascent being necessary, like to this current situation. And like, you know, it, it certainly is on maybe like the institution side, you know, college universities and just, you know, federal funding or just, you know, yeah, these financial systems and those sort of things. So whatever angle, Eddie, or all of those things, I imagine they're all kind of players here. But like, you know, what, what do you kind of see as the variables that led us to this point? Yeah, I think, uh, um, I mean, the, the, the thing that frustrates me and, and, uh, you know, we, we make student loans, we, we make income share agreements available to, to students, uh, we're a credit provider. So the, mm. the thing that I'm most frustrated by and, uh, and hand wringing doesn't do its service, but it's close. But the, the thing I'm frustrated by is, is everyone's talking about the symptom. Uh, they, they think the, the loan is the actual disease and it's just the symptom. And sorry for a medical metaphor during these times. That's probably a bad choice of, of uh, examples. But that's that's probably as, as powerful one as I can make right now. And and the in this questionable metaphor, the the I would say that the disease is really the cost of an education and then the and then the quality of the education. And 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 I'm not I'm not saying that there's not a lot of really great professors and great programs. But 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 quality has always been disconnected between between the transfer of knowledge and the and the achievement of an outcome defined as a job or you know the, the opportunity to achieve more knowledge. So so we, we talk about you know saying hey there's a problem with student loans and and no one it's the third rail of talking about student loans the the politicians don't want to say that that paying a quarter million dollars to go to a four year institution is too high. Uh, they don't want to say that the the universities are allocating too much money to administration and not teaching, uh, but but the, the research is out. The the universities have shifted dollars from actually teaching students to marketing and administrative overhead and and lazy rivers, and uh, and competing with neighboring colleges for the same students. So. So, so we've got this rising cost that uh, because of the cost of labor, because of the cost of uh, the fixed infrastructure of a university, uh, you, 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 can't, you can't pay tenured professors less and you can't let buildings crumble or uh, uh, your, your plant not get uh, you know, maintained. Otherwise, you'll have unsafe conditions for the students on campus. Mm -hmm. So we've got a rising cost. And and, uh, and and people point to how do you pay for the rising costs by saying, well, there, there should be more government funding. The, we, we, we might talk a little bit about uh, President-elect Biden's desire to have uh, free tuition at state institutions. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's that's not going to solve the problem. And uh, and so the, the, the two problems, as I said, one, uh, we're talking about loans and not cost because the, the lender makes a finite amount of profit. Uh, but once that loan goes to the school, the school makes uh, a, a, a much greater 
uh, profit or at least defrays a much greater problem when you send a, a $15,000 loan to a school and you're making 6% interest rate on it. So, uh, so, so one that, and then, and then two, uh, my, my frustration, and I've had one son go through, get a bachelor's degree, you know, in, in four years, I've got my second son who's a senior now, he's a, he's a nursing major at University of San Francisco. And, and, and I've, I've had, I've been buying higher ed uh, for the last six or I guess seven years now. And, and at the two institutions they went to, uh, there's not there's not help getting into the workforce and there's no real understanding about what your starting salary is going to be. And uh, and, and that's incredibly frustrating. I, I think about any other consumer product that you might buy. And uh, and if you, you walked into Best Buy and said, you know, I want to I want to borrow money to buy that television. Can you tell me how much it costs? And, and the answer is, well, once you get it home, uh, we'll send you the bill. And uh, you wouldn't buy that television, right? But that's the way higher ed works. You you go into a process where, uh, at least here in California, it, depending on what major you pick at what university, there's something called impacted majors. And they will tell you, if you look for it, that if you're, for instance, a psychology major, and I, I won't name schools, they will tell you it will take you five years to graduate because you can't get your upper level classes. And it's not mm -hmm. like if you're smart enough and hardworking enough, you can get your, they're telling you, when you're a freshman, you will not be able to graduate in four years. Now, the college cost here in California at the UC system runs up to $34,000 a year for in-school, uh, for in-state residents. So if you're planning to, to buy a bachelor's degree from one of those institutions, you, you should know that it's going to cost you an extra $34,000, but you don't. And you should know that if you graduate with a psychology degree, your average starting salary will likely be somewhere in the 30000 30 to $40,000 range, because that's what the data say. Um, so, so I'm frustrated that this is not getting exposed. And if you, if you look at the Bright Futures engine, that is you know, our, our, our beta version of trying to, trying to expose some of these costs and some of these outcomes and some of these critical choices that families and students need to make, that tied to our loan, which is another signaling device, are, are our best shots we've got so far. And, and, uh, and you know, we're making 10 and 15 year loans, which means we have to live with these answers for 10 or 15 years. So we're, we're excited about uh, being part of the solution that, that exposes just good decision making as you buy higher education. Well, I guess, uh, and I guess, ironically enough, uh, 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 I guess my brain always thinks of metaphors too, but like, because I guess all of what you're saying, you know, is certainly like, you know, the state of the hybrid landscape that I'm kind of hearing a lot about as well is certainly just, you know, that lack of transparency, but it makes me think of like, you know, medical care, <laughs> like, you know, the idea that like, you know, you go in, you get a checkup and they're just like, oh, we'll just like send you a bill or like, you only know, just kind of see it like, you know, um, after the fact or just really unclear. And it's, it's the same kind of idea of like having, you know, insurance or whatever, try to, you know, pay for it and just kind of being like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Whatever the cost is, we'll pay it. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's a very complex issue. And it is the idea that it doesn't seem as though there's been a lot of dedicated effort or focus into like really getting to the heart of it and maybe just kind of treating, you know, certain symptoms. And um, I think it's interesting too. I mean, yeah, because I, I think a lot of what you're getting at too is like, uh, you know, depending on where you go and what you study and how long it takes you and all those sort of things, like, you know, the credential and the, the kind of product that you have at the end and the the loans that you have. Cause I, I know that that's 
what some people I've talked to have kind of highlighted is like, well, like the, the amount of loans isn't necessarily the issue. Like it can't just be if someone, you know, what are their earnings after they graduate? Did they actually even finish, but they still have loans and they, you know, they have no credential to show for it and those sort of things. So that's like definitely a lot embedded in it into like where just like, well, student loans, yeah, are just like the enemy and vilified and all that. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, obviously in a perfect world, people would have to have no debt to do anything and, you know, uh, all that. But, you know, it really is like a really powerful investment into someone's future to be able to do that. And and, and a lot of I know what I've talked with people about, too, is just making sure that students are making informed choices. You know, like that can just be where like, yeah, somebody is like, oh, it's going to take you five years. It's going to be this much money and all that. And they're like great. Yeah, I accept that. And that is okay with me versus like, yeah, only like figuring out, you know, too late that uh, that was the case. So yeah, I don't know. I guess any, any thoughts on that of maybe that comparison or just sort of some of those details? Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, um, one of the, if you, let's just talk about debt in general, whether it's used to buy higher education or not, if you go, let, let's just go way back in time and I'll, 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 I won't go too far back or spend too much time, but if you go way back in time, uh, debt used to be really bad. If you if there's something called debtor's prison, right? If you had to borrow money, uh, it, it, it there was there was no regulation. There were it, it was it was as as ugly as it was a, a social disgrace. It was mm-hmm. high interest rate. It was unregulated. And uh, and if you look at if you look at the, the, some of the, the the capitalistic systems we have in place here in the United States and compare them to the rest of the world. One of the things that keeps you, the United States as the, the number one economy in, in the, in, on earth for the period of time that it's been the number one is the access to credit. And, uh, and, and once the systems and laws all were, all were put in place to safely allow borrowing, there is no stigma attached with having a, a credit card, none with having an auto loan, none with having a mortgage on a house. These are not normal. For, for, for developing worlds. They, they don't have the access to credit and they don't have the systems in place to enforce uh, those credits. It's, it's, it's all evolving. So, so that's like compartmentalize that little story. And then, and then let's go to the 1960s. In the, in the 1960s, the, the, in 1965, they, they authorized the Higher Education Act. And part of that act's uh, mission was to provide access to higher education. Up until 1965, uh, it was a very homogenous set of people who were going through very elite type institutions here in the U.S. And there were a lot of people, especially military, who needed to upskill and reskill themselves. So we, we had this promotion of access. And, uh, and, and you can say what you want about what the Department of Education has and hasn't done over the last 50 years. But I, I would say up until cir- circa 2008, uh, the Department of Education had done what I would consider as a phenomenal job promoting access, providing uh, low cost in partnership with states access and to, to education, whether it was a community college to get an associate's degree or whether it was a four year institution to get a bachelor's degree or whether it was a graduate school to become a doctor or a lawyer. So so this was they, they had the flywheel spinning and then and then we hit the Great Recession and we started talking about the debt. So, so fast forward to, to conversations that some of our, our first time learners uh, are, are experiencing with their families who, whose parents weren't born here in the U.S. And, uh, 
there's now an aversion to debt, which means there's an aversion to paying for and investing in higher education. So we are seeing, I'll say, 50 years of access to education that had a flywheel spinning that said it's okay to take debt from the federal government and maybe the private sector in order to advance your economic and social standing here in the U.S. We now have people saying, don't take debt, it's bad. So, so again, people don't always, we're, we're on the ground, we're practitioners talking to students and families and they're making these hard decisions and the federal government and think tanks and politicians are saying debt is bad. It's okay to buy a car, it's okay to buy a house, it's okay to buy a TV, um, but it's not okay to buy education. And, and I would argue that the, the highest return out of everything I just mentioned is actually that investment in the education. And, uh, and, and that's, that's of, of my many frustrations. I think we've, we've set ourselves, the federal government has set itself, the desire for first time learners to get through an education has all been set back the better part of a decade. And, and quite honestly, I don't know when we're going to recover from this because we're not talking, we're still talking about the wrong thing. Uh, we're talking about the debt and not the outcome uh, and not the quality of the education that's being delivered for that cost. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, it, it's it's kind of fair <laughs> critique, if it, you know, because uh, I think the access certainly is still there. You know, uh, federal student loans and different things are uh, open to, uh, you know, many people to get in uh, to the college of their choice if they qualify and everything. But like, you know, yeah, making sure what they're getting while they're there is is quality, that they're supported and uh yeah, that they, you know, as they move on from, you know, once they like get their credential and graduate and get into the workforce, you know, making sure that that's a smooth transition and all of that. So I think, you know, because I know too, like what you said, because I think it's it's definitely a contentious topic as well as, as sort of the uh, quote unquote, like administrative bloat, which like, you know, some people that's like kind of a red flag of just like, you're like, oh, well, I am like an administration, like, you know, and it's like, well, no, like all of those roles, I think, you know, from my point of view are are valuable, but there's so many ways right now in terms of different like tech tools or just like the way that, you know, these uh, kind of bureaucracies of higher education are organized where it's like, you've got to like, you know, keep lean, keep efficient and like use great tools to be able to, you know, reach students and help them um, in effective ways where I think some of them are just you know, they're going about things very inefficiently and they could be, you know, still supporting students to make sure that they have a quality experience and making sure that they're investing properly into instruction. And uh, yeah, I don't know, just balancing all those priorities because yeah. certainly they're all important. But yeah, it's just like one of those things I think it's, it's I, I feel this often where it's kind of like, you know, people just like throw their hands up in the air where it's just like, I don't know, it's too hard. I don't, we, we can't figure it out. It's, it's just like, no, no, I mean, you just like get some, you know, uh, thoughtful people together and just commit to like, you know, there, there's a lot of institutions that are doing this of like, I think they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, balancing all those priorities pretty well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really well, you know, you kind of like you followed that thread uh, and I, I can really appreciate that of like debt and like, you know, how that's almost going to come full circle back to, um, you know, kind of reticence about that and uh, all that. But um, yeah, like done properly, it can be a really, uh, really powerful investment. Like, and I would say that I'm, you know, uh, certainly a byproduct of that as well, where like, I, I can't imagine my life without, you know, uh, education being a part of it and having debt, but like, you know, it being, you know, manageable for, uh, you know, my career choices and, and lifestyle, whatever. But like, yeah, I don't know. And I guess we can kind of move, you know, from here uh, to just a more uh, positive uh, uh, aspect of all of this, you know, obviously. So, you know, you, you just explain how you are working in this space to try to 
you know, uh, address these issues and concerns and everything. Um, So if there's just examples that you can say of like the outcomes that you have seen, you know, for students through your work of, you know, that you're trying to, uh, yeah, just make this whole process just, you know, better for everybody. So I guess, uh, you know, at least for for students specifically, um, what are some of the outcomes that you have seen? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, and, and great points, Dustin. I, I think you're, you're, you're dialed in and, uh, and it, it, I, I do applaud you at getting someone who, who makes student loans on, the, on, on, your, on your program. I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, is a, it tends to be a third rail, and, and, I, and I, as you can tell, I have my thoughts. Uh, but the, <laughs> you know, the outcomes is why I get out of bed in the morning. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll give you just a couple of examples. I can give you a lot. But in the four-year school space, uh, we, we, we have what we call our future income loan, which is that, that outcomes-based loan I, I described a little bit earlier. And, uh, and the, Ascent funding, the Ascent name is not a household name. Uh, there's some other household names like Discover and Sally Mae. And uh, before Wells Fargo left the industry, it, Wells Fargo and the Stagecoach. So we're, we're, Ascent is not a household name. So we, we very often uh, you know, see students after they've been rejected by other banks. And, uh, and, and the, the, the outcomes I love is uh, you know, our, our, our loan is designed to, to pick up the student, usually where they run, a student and family, usually where they run out of money, which is in their junior and senior or, or, or fifth year, senior year. And, uh, and, and so we, we, we have to pull credit because we want to make sure the person hasn't filed bankruptcy or defaulted on a bunch of student loans already because we're, sadly, we're just not going to give that person a loan. But, um, but if, they, if they don't have a credit score and they don't have a job and, uh, and they don't have any income over a certain threshold, then they qualify for our future income loan. And, and what, what, what makes me really happy is when, 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 my, when my operations group says, you know, we just funded another student who was rejected by three lenders. And, uh, and that's solving a problem. Like you, you, you sometimes I've run lots of businesses and you try and measure your value. Are we making a difference? You know, are we charging the right number? Um, but when, when the, the rest of our competitors are saying no and we say yes, and then after we say yes, we get to watch the result of that. And the result is that student graduating, then yeah, we're not doing that by the millions, we're doing it by the thousands, but, uh, but I call that making a difference and, and really improving someone's, someone's situation in life. Uh, and and we we are we're, we're one of the largest lenders in the coding bootcamp space, and mm. uh, we, we've I, I've loved that space for for a number of years since it started about five six years ago in in, in some level of scale and uh, and. And we, we, the outcomes there are phenomenal. Uh, about 80% of all of our borrowers already have a bachelor's degree. So it's not the 18-year-old who's you know, holed up in their parents' house and, and wants to be a coder. Uh, those folks show up, uh, those young adults show up, but it's, it's people in their late 20s who wanna reskill or upskill themselves. And those are some of the best stories. Uh, we, we make loans to people going to part-time programs and full-time programs. Uh, we make them going to online and offline now, obviously, uh, a lot of online learning. And, uh, and these schools, about we have about 75 of them we work with in some cases exclusively. Th- their outcomes are phenomenal. The, the average starting salary before they start the program is right around $45,000 a year. And when they graduate, it takes them about three months to get a job, and that job averages about seventy-five thousand dollars. So, uh, so, so think about think about that. We, like you're, we're, we're helping, you know, these average loan size are about ten thousand dollars. So, 
for a $10,000 loan or a $15,000 program in uh, three to six months, we're helping adult learners go from, you know, increase their, their salary from below the average income of the country to above the average income of the country. So, so that's like, that's something we like to promote, right? The, that is an outcome that, that the debt is absolutely worth it. And the, the out, the, the debt actually can be repaid in less than a year, uh, given the increase in the, the, the salaries of the, of the students. So that, that's why we create customized products. Uh, we recently launched something we call an outcomes loan and the, the outcomes loan functions very similar to another product in the market called an income share agreement. But the outcomes loan doesn't really become a loan until the student graduates from the program and gets a job. And, uh, and we do this in tight partnership with the school. So the school's got a little bit of skin in the game, as the phrase goes. We obviously have our capital in the game and the students got an accountability to actually do the work uh, and be diligent about completing their education and hyper diligent about following the school's recommendations on how to prepare for interviews, job search, and then land a job. Yeah, really great stuff. And I mean, just really great to hear, you know, those outcomes. And I think, yeah, I've been very intrigued about in- income share agreements. Like, I don't know if that's maybe necessarily like the solution in all, you know, kind of situations, but I think it can be just a really compelling way, to, like, you know, to, um, yeah, just to help support students, you know, to be able to uh, get through higher education. I think, you know, we see it a lot, obviously, in the kind of what you're getting at too, with like the boot camp space and stuff. And, uh, I almost want to spend like a little bit more time on that, like just really quickly, because I think I guess correct me if I'm wrong with, you know, boot camps and these different kind of like alternative models for uh, credentialing and, you know, different respects. A lot of them like it's kind of been lagging for students to be able to get like federal aid or Pell Grants or any of those sort of things like those things just aren't available if it's not like a, you know, a formal like four year, you know, bachelor's degree or something. Right. Are you kind of filling a gap there, I guess, uh, with some of these other like alternatives? Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, you know we I made a few comments before about the the uh, the administrative overhead of of colleges and universities, and it's not all their fault. Uh, you know the idea that they have to define what a credit hour is, and then they have to have tenured professors, they have have to have a creditor approved curriculum. Uh, they can't add a major without subtracting a major. All of that quote overhead is necessary to participate in the federal the federal loan and grant programs and many state programs, obviously. So, so the the coding bootcamp sector has looked at what I just said and said, well, uh, and, and others other more innovative schools. We I like I like looking at Western Governor University's model where. Uh, it's not about the number of minutes or hours you spent learning. It's about your uh, about your efficiency to master the material, and then it's your mm-hmm. competency uh, to prove you know the material. And uh, and and it, and when you when I when I have a conversation about uh, credentialing or or, or or credential stacking or competency based learning. It, it sounds so obvious. Like if you if you know if someone just landed here on Earth and you said, "Hey, uh, you know, a, a person who's doing bookkeeping for the last ten years and wants to get an accounting degree has to has to go all the way back to square one and and take accounting one hundred and one, even though they could pass the final exam in in about thirty minutes, but they'll never get a bachelor's in accounting unless they take accounting one hundred and one. You'd be like, why would they waste? You know that amount of money and that amount of time to prove they already know the material. It seems like, oh yeah, it's a waste of time. But that's the way the system works. So, so the coding boot camps have, have looked at that dynamic and said, well, it's more about proving to the labor market 
that uh, that we've got uh, someone with the skill set that can do the job they need at the price they want to pay, then it is about saying they've got some kind of a degree. And uh, and and I'll say sadly, uh, because the, those schools don't ha- avail themselves to, to the Pell Grant programs or the, the, the federal loan programs. But I will say the benefit is they don't uh, because because with 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 free money comes a lot of regulation, a lot of oversight, a lot of business model management. And and I, and I think they've been able to move very quickly and very efficiently. They, they are some of the fastest moving and adapting schools in the pandemic I, I, I've ever seen. I mean, we have schools that were 100 percent in a classroom and in a, and in a, it took them a month. Right. But in a month. They had uh, they had taken all of their curriculum and gotten it online and and didn't you know they missed a cohort uh, but they didn't miss two and uh, and we didn't see higher ed system respond that quickly and all those schools kept taking money and not changing the cost of tuition uh, but but moving it uh, you know in some cases efficiently online but in most cases not very efficiently online and I mean I just wanted to kind of highlight that because yeah because it's just the idea of like that they are. I think just becoming, yeah, just increasingly compelling for students, to, like you said, I mean, like career change and to really uplift their uh, earning potential and all that. I mean, it, it addressed needs of the labor market of things like, you know, coding or like business analytics or just like, you know, uh, user interface design and all these things that are like just really necessary increasingly for pretty much any business needs, you know, some people doing that work. And it, it is, you know, a little bit of like a specialized uh, skill set. And um, you know, so it's satisfying all those things. And just, I'm, I'm seeing so much, like just being kind of immersed in the digital education space, like it just being like really compelling for institutions as well that like, yeah, they want to like, you know, kind of, um, be almost like the backer of like kind of giving their brand credibility to some of these boot camps Cause some, you know, some are just their own little islands of digital education, uh, not associated with any, uh, institutions, but I'm seeing a lot that are, you know, there's companies that sort of cater to that and, uh, some, digital uh, bootcamp companies that are like uh, making kind of big splashy uh, partnerships and, you know, creating pipelines for those students as well, if they are uh, looking for that. But um, yeah, I mean, just helping to address that gap, like, like you're saying, like, there's just such powerful outcomes for that. And so, um, you know, good on you for, you know, uh, seeing that opportunity and, you know, being a part of helping, you know, that, that uh, facet of higher education uh, to kind of flourish. But yeah, I don't think I answered your your income share agreement questions re- real or comment real real quick on that. Sure, uh, sure. Not only do these schools innovate around the 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 type of education and the type of job placement and commitment that, but they've innovated. They they found the product in the income share agreement that helps them live their brand promise. And uh, there, there's there's uh, and, and income share agreements we we think you know in the right hands and uh, in the right situation are a great tool, but they're one of many. They're not one of one. And uh, for for students to to pick from, and and we have seen some schools say the only way to buy our education is to give us a percentage of your income and in, you know into the future. And and I've told those schools I, I don't think you can tell consumers how to pay for stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they they sometimes don't like when I say that, but it's true. Uh, you know we we've seen students who pick a school based off of the financing programs, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and. Um, so, so to have only one financing choice seems to me to be, uh, but to have multiple financing choices, which is the way we've built our technology, where if you if you want to, you know, when we're working with certain schools, if you want the loan and the ISA exposed to your student, we can do both. And we're the only we're the only finance provider in the country that's got the origination systems to to afford, to give the schools and and in some cases the students that option. 
Yeah. I mean, and yeah, options are, options are good. <laughs> Cause yeah, I mean, again, that's just the idea of like, you know, a student, a prospective student for an institution, like they have that full transparency of like, okay, I want to major in this. And this is what that means in terms of like the time of study and the cost of it. And then yeah, like options in terms of how they feel comfortable uh, funding that and those sort of things. So yeah, all, all, all great stuff. Um, but uh, I guess we'll move on. I'm, I'm kind of curious to this because uh, I feel like we've hit on a lot of things that I wanted to uh, cover, but I'm curious if there's any, uh, resources to share, uh, whether they're, you know, your own or things that you're kind of, uh, seeing out there that are kind of grabbing your attention, any, you know, podcasts or articles or books or anything like that, that you want to recommend, uh, that we can include in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, uh, you, you, I probably won't tell you anything you, you don't know. Scott Galloway, if you, uh, if you mm-hmm. don't get his, uh, Friday missives on an email or you don't listen to his podcasts, I, I, I chuckle each time because I, I can only imagine the, the folks at NYU who are, who are paying him to teach <laughs> <laughs> students. And then he's railing on the cost that they're charging his students to, to, to learn in the master's programs. I, I, I think that the irony is palpable and I don't know how you stop him, but he is a provocateur by design. And uh, and I think he uh, I, I love I, I love when uh, when people have an opinion and then they back it up with data and he tends to do that with with most everything he talks about. Uh, so I, I think you know that, that that's that I, I read him weekly. I, I listen to him occasionally. Uh, there's from a research side, we we do a lot of reading and uh, yeah. and I, I tell all of our employees and uh and and anyone who listened to me you know like read read every side of a dis, of a discussion or a debate so that you you get a 360 degree view of what you're you're you're, you're trying to solve not just a 180 degree view and and uh and and so one of those one of the research uh shops out there the institute for college access and success it's tikus they do great research on on access to education and outcomes and uh, they provide a, a lot of recommendations into the federal government about how to make things better. Uh, one of the things that, that they were promoting was uh, years ago, which which actually got into the, the federal system, was you, you should be looking at repayment rates of federal student loans, not default rates, um, because default is binary, but repayment is, uh, I'd say, it's a time series. and. Uh, and, and, and now we've got much more insight into schools and, and how students are, are handling their debt post-separation. Uh, and, then, uh, and then on the research front, Strata is a uh, nonprofit that does a lot of surveying, uh, they, usually in partnership with Gallup, but they're, they, they spend a lot of time focused on the adult learner market like we do. And, uh, and the research they produce and the, the, you know, the podcasts they have, I find, I find very insightful. And uh, so those are those are some of the the, uh, the, the things that, that we focus on. And uh, and we're we're, uh, I guess, from a financial wellness perspective, as we call it here at Ascent, we're we're very we're very focused on on getting tools into the hands of the students to, to make sure that they understand a lot of what we just talked about today are like what what is debt? How does it work? What is accrued interest? What is the difference between a federal loan and a private loan from Ascent? And, uh, and, and we've built that into our application process. So, uh, so you, we, we give students a, a test, you know, before they complete their application to get a loan from us, we give them, we give them a test and uh, we, we score their financial wellness. And if uh, they get a good grade, they get to keep going through our app. If they get a bad grade, they have to take about a 15 minute lesson on, uh, on some of the topics I just, I just rattled off. And, and then we test them again. So, 
Uh, so I, I think we're the only lender in the country that will not give a loan to a student or a family if they don't complete what I just said. And, uh, and, and, and I'll say almost everyone completes it. There's a few people who get annoyed with us. And to them, I was like, I'm sorry, it was only 15 minutes of your, your life to, to do a little mm -hmm. bit of brushing up on what debt is. But, uh, but I think it's the right way to lend, especially to the population that we're, we're touching right now. Yeah, that's great. Um, and great stuff to check out. I, I did uh, definitely get uh, turned on to Scott Galloway and his uh, unique style uh, recently and have been uh, checking out some of his stuff. So um, I'll uh, emphasize that one a little bit more here. But um, yeah, I mean, as we, as we wind down and we wrap up with this uh, kind of final thoughts question, you know, we've talked a lot about just kind of the conversation around this and like the solutions that you're offering. But um, yeah, just kind of final thoughts on this topic that you want to end the episode with. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll break it into to two. One that's specific to Ascent is, uh, or at least the, the students we talk to, one, uh, we, we tell everybody, find as much free money as you can. Uh, we, we offer a scholarship on a regular basis. I think last year we gave away $70,000 of scholarships to students. So, uh, so we tell everybody, get, get, get the free money that you can from all of the available sources. Uh, apply, fill out the FAFSA, get your Pell Grant, get your, your low interest rate loan from the federal government, and then if, and save your money. And if, if the loan is the final answer, it's not the first answer. So we're excited about the, about the work we do in scholarships, and we're going to continue to invest in that. Uh, from, a, from a, I'd say from a, the other end of that spectrum, from a policy perspective, what uh, what uh, I was I was chatting with my son this morning, and I said, "Hey, what's what do you think a stigma of higher education is?" Because that was one of the, the prompts that I was thinking about chatting with you about this morning. And and he said, "Well, uh, he goes, well, well, one, uh, it sounds elitist, and uh, and it, that was a, he, he was trying to be provocative, and he <laughs> said it should be called continuing education, not higher education, and." And I realized that in that sentence, it, it, it capsulated what I, another thing I've been saying, which is there should be no stigma associated with going to community college. And, uh, and yes, by definition, that is higher education, but, um, but it's really a form of continuing your education. And we, we, we see a lot written about, quote, lifetime learners. And, uh, and, and, and I, I do think we're in a world that is moving rapidly and, and education is, is not gonna be one and done, <clears throat> one and done anymore. So I, I think I think uh, taking away the stigma that that going to community college for a couple of years is is, uh, you know, it's, it's seen as a failure, not a success. Uh, and, and if you could get more folks going and knocking out their core classes at community college and then they could still go spend four years at, at a, uh, at, you know, at a, at a state institution or another four year institution. But but uh, but two years of community college and, and four years gets you a master's degree. And, uh, and makes you highly proficient in something you should be passionate about. So, so I, I do think it's, we're at a unique time where we're talking about free tuition at state institutions in the Biden administration, and, uh, and, and we have a chance to actually change uh, the, the paths and, uh, and the stigmas that have been associated with some of those vocational paths and some of those uh, on-ramps into a, a higher education and a mastery of a skill. Yeah, I mean, it's a great final thought. I mean, yeah, a lot of relevance to our topic of just, yeah, I mean, these, you know, the on-ramps, like you said, are just these different pathways and opportunities, whether it is a, a boot camp or going to community college and, you know, then going on from there for further education, or maybe that's it. And that can be a really cost-effective option. And uh, you still get, you know, uh, more specialized kind of uh, professional options from there. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's so many stigmas and different things like that in higher education. I think that that is an interesting idea of kind of like trying to like rebrand because I mean, obviously, like some institutions have like, oh, this is our like division of continuing education, and like you know, it's kind of like just this this offshoot. But I know like. I think I've been mentioning this a lot more because I'm actually like four courses into taking these short courses through uh, Uni- University of California, Irvine's uh, Division of Continuing Education. And so I'm like esports and it's stuff I'm really interested in and it's super cost effective. And I know that like it'll just help me to like distinguish myself, you know, further of just, you know, esports being this really unique thing that's blossoming or whatever. But it's like, you know, I-, I wouldn't have gone to get like, you know, another master's in esports or something if they even existed. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just understanding that there's just so many opportunities and so much potential in this really broad and diverse landscape of uh, higher education and just allowing for people to be more informed about that. And, you know, the the costs associated with those and, uh, you know, just the different funding options. Like there's just so much. And, you know, I think part of the game is just trying to build that awareness and build um you know, people's understanding and try to work away at those stigmas. So um, I feel like we're, we're trying to do our part here <laughs> with this great uh, conversation. And, you know, I thank you so much, Ken, for, for jumping on and having, uh, you know, this conversation and sharing all that you did. And uh, we'll have ways to connect with everything that you mentioned uh, in the show notes, all the resources and uh, to connect with, uh, you know, the work that you're doing there at Ascent. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Dustin, and, and thanks for making this a topic of conversation. It's uh, I, I, I'm always available to talk, and uh, and I, and I appreciate you putting this this content out onto the out into the world so that that people can be more informed. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.